So today our reading starts in Acts chapter 4 and verse 7. And just as a little context to this, so we didn't have to read all of this, this particular um, part it starts with Peter and John after Pentecost has occurred. They are in Jerusalem and they are about to go into a temple and there is a crippled man outside in the tent of the temple asking for money. And so Peter tells them that we don't have any money, but I will give you what we do have. And he says in the name of Jesus to stand up and walk. And this crippled man who's never walked a day in his life stands up and walks. And so the crowd is rejoicing and excited over this miraculous work that has happened. And it gets the attention of the Sadducees. And the Sadducees are not too happy about this. So they put John and Peter into custody overnight. And then in the morning, they bring him in front of the high priests, the elders, the scribes, and the religious leaders. And so we're going to pick up right there when they're being um, questioned in uh, verse 7. So the high priest says, what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. Our second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. This is the word of the Lord. So over the summer, we spent a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about how we can be transformed and looked, look more like Christ. So it's probably a good idea for us to ask ourselves, what does that really mean to you? What does it mean if I or you were to look more like Jesus? And how would others know that we are being transformed by Jesus? Sometimes this transformation can happen in a big, sudden change, and sometimes it's a slow, gradual process. But what does it mean to you? What does it look like to you? I met this woman probably about 16 years ago who became a very close friend of mine. And when I first met her, she was this shy, timid woman. She would never do anything in group activities. She would never share her opinion in front of more than maybe one or two people. She would shy away from any attention on her, regardless if it was good, bad, or indifferent. She was very kind and very generous. She had a beautiful heart. 
And when we came to know each other, we were bound together by our faith in Jesus. She had been raised in the church, had gone since she was born. But she was coming to a place now where she was on this journey to discover what did she really believe about God? Not what the church had taught her, but what did she really believe? And so that opened up a lot of conversations for us about both of our faith. And I was able to share with her my view of Jesus, a Jesus of love, a Jesus who wants relationship with us, a Jesus who cares for us, that is in our everyday lives. Well, this wasn't what she had learned, and she was very intrigued about who this Jesus was. So she decided she was going to embark on this journey to discover this Jesus of love. This took several years, and to make a long story short, she was transformed. That shy young woman who shied away from any attention, from sharing anything, being involved in anything, now that shyness had gone away. She was braver and bolder. She was willing to try new things. She found a church that had a very in-depth Bible study. And then I start to see her thrive. That word became alive to her. And she had asked the Lord for revelation, and he gave her understanding. It became so personal to her that she would go and now share her faith with anyone, anywhere. Complete strangers and coffee shops and you know, grocery stores. Sometimes it was a tad bit embarrassing, I will admit. But nothing held her back. And then she started playing in the worship band in front of the entire church. And one day, the boldness of the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she stood up in front of the congregation of several hundred people and shared her testimony. But God wasn't done. He had her start her own business, her own ministry. She was definitely not the same woman that I met 16 years ago. And how did that happen? Well, when you open your hearts to Jesus and he lets that truth and that love come in to every crevice of your heart, you can't help but to be transformed. We really can't stop it. So we looked at the story of Acts today and we see transformation in this story. You know, here a wonderful miracle has just occurred. The crowd is excited. This man who's never walked a day in about 40 years finally stands up to walk. People are just excited to see that God answers their prayers. And this was the miracle that opened the door for Peter and John to be able to share the message of Jesus with the crowd. And because of that, about another 2,000 people came to faith in Jesus in addition to the 3,000 at Pentecost. And so this Jesus movement that the religious leaders were looking at was now becoming a little large and they were starting to get a bit concerned. So naturally we don't see the leaders jumping for joy and praising God over this miracle. You know, they had thought this movement was over. Jesus was crucified, he was dead. He didn't come back to life. The body was stolen. The disciples took it. That was just a myth. They thought that this was just going to die, and yet here it is rising up again. The interesting thing about this healing in this story is the leaders didn't challenge the healing. They actually couldn't challenge the healing because there were so many eyewitnesses, and in Jewish law, it's crucial that you have two eyewitnesses to testify to any account. 
And here there were so many eyewitnesses that there was nothing that the leaders could say. So they were in a bit of a jam because they really wanted to shut down Peter and John, but the crowd has witnessed something and they're excited and they do not want to push back against the crowd. But there's another concern in this because again, we only need two eyewitnesses and Peter is there with the boldness of the Holy Spirit giving a firsthand account or testimony of the life, the death and the resurrection of Christ. And here comes John, now the second eyewitness who is backing up the story. So now we have a bit of a situation here that could turn into a trial because Peter now in the boldness of the Holy Spirit is calling out the religious leaders saying, you are the ones responsible for the death of Jesus. So the leaders couldn't challenge the truth, but they could challenge the truth bearers. So they would threaten, they would beat them, they would put them in jail, anything to get them to squash this movement. But the leaders completely underestimated Peter and John. They had the wrong take on them. See, the leaders were remembering Peter and John before, not who they were at that moment. Now, if we remember, we'll remember Peter as a bit of short-tempered, some may say hot-tempered. You know, he didn't think before he spoke, put his foot in his mouth a lot, and he was the disciple who denied Jesus three times and ran away. And if we look at John, well, he's a young man, some may say still a kid, and a little immature, doesn't quite have his ego in check. And we read about how he refers to himself as the disciple who outran Peter at the grave, or the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus loved all of his disciples. But neither of those men were the same men that were standing here in this story in front of the religious leaders. They were transformed men. And we see that they continue to be transformed as we read the letters of John and the letters of Peter. We will see that this has been a continual process for them. But in that moment, the leaders mistook them. They just figured, oh, they're uneducated and inexperienced. And when you look at the relatively small numbers of those following Jesus to the larger numbers of those Ju following Judaism, eh, it looks pretty small. Like, maybe we shouldn't worry. See, they didn't think that Peter and John could get a lot of followers to, to come on and put their faith in Jesus. They didn't really believe that they could actually teach the ways of Jesus and then help people to live them out. No, I mean, after all, these were just fishermen. They didn't have any higher education. They barely made it out of their first part of their education. And to the leaders, they didn't make it to the next step. So they were ordinary, common people. But the leaders also underestimated the power of God. They didn't believe that God could just call anyone and then anyone God chooses to call, he can equip. Although that's exactly what happened repeatedly over and over in their history. God called ordinary men and women and equipped them to do extraordinary things for him and his kingdom. And he still does that today. Whatever God calls us to do, the Holy Spirit will empower us to do that. There have been many times in my life, and I'm sure in all of your lives, where you've said something or you've done something and you were like, where did that come from? 
I would never say that, or I would never know that, or I would never do that. But that's the power of the Holy Spirit that's part of your transformation. When you're walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and you're being transformed, those things happen and you look more and more like Jesus. You say things like he would. You act like he would. And this is where we see Peter and John. Now today, when I look at my friend that I was talking about earlier, I can see the Holy Spirit all over her and in her. There's this power and strength and boldness and courage in her. And I didn't see that when I first met her. But it took work on her part. First, she had to come to the place where she can open herself up to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and transform her. And today, she looks like a shining light for Christ. She literally has been transformed from the inside out. Her countenance is even different. There's a different glow about her that draws people to her. They want to know, what do you have that I don't have? Now, my friend, she has no formal training. She has no formal training in the scriptures. She doesn't have much in terms of college degrees, but God called her to be a ministry leader. God called her to be a business leader. And when he called her, he transformed her, and she is a successful business and ministry leader today. She'll tell you today that she's still in awe of this. This was never her plan. This was the farthest thing that she ever wanted to do. But when God came in and transformed her and changed her life, she couldn't say no. She was compelled to go where he led, and he opened the doors, and she has been successful ever since. Now, when we look at Peter and John, we see this throughout the New Testament, their change. And in this particular instance, eventually the leaders recognized that Peter and John were different. The scriptures from our reading today said that they were amazed at the boldness of Peter and John, and they recognized what a powerful effect Jesus had on them. They knew they were different. They knew that something had changed. So how did this happen? Well, that's pretty easy to answer for Peter and John because they knew Jesus. They really knew Jesus. They spent three years of their lives following him, studying him, living with him, traveling with him. They had a very close-knit, intimate relationship. So I looked to my friend, and how did that happen? Well, she did the same thing. She spends time with Jesus. When she asked for revelation, the Holy Spirit opened her understanding. And now she spends time in prayer. And sometimes it's just to be in the presence of Jesus, to be with him. And in that simple presence, we're transformed a little bit more and more. She invited Jesus into all the areas of her life, even the ones she really wanted to close out. She knew that Jesus needed to come in. And through this process, the relationship became more intimate. And Jesus became her Jesus, or in her words, my Jesus. He wasn't just God, but now he was my God in her words. It was personal. He is mine and I am his. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was driving into church one morning, and this song came on the radio called My Savior, My God. 
And this song just struck me so deeply that I'm going to share some of the lyrics with you. I am not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know at his right hand stands one who is my Savior. I take him at his word indeed. Christ died to save me, this I read. And in my heart I find a need of him to be my Savior. That he would leave his place on high and for sinful man to die. You count it strange, so once did I, before I knew my Savior. That he who lives to be my king once died to be my Savior. My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God he is, my God he was, my God he's always going to be. What struck me so deeply about this song is that every time the songwriter referred to God in any sense of the word, the word my was before it. It's very clear even when he sings the song and you would listen to it, that the songwriter has a very intimate relationship with God. He never refers to God just as God. It's always my God, my Jesus, my Savior. And that's very much like if we think of relationships with others we have, like if we think of our marriage. Dan, I referred to him as my husband, and he would refer to me as his wife. I'm his, he's mine. We have an intimate, close relationship. Before I knew him, or before I was married, I'm a totally different person than I am today. And over the years, We've gotten to know each other. We've spent a lot of time with each other. We have integrated our lives together. We've let each other in, in in all parts of our lives. And the longer we're married and in this relationship, the more obvious it is to other people who see us that we're together. That's how it is in our relationship with Christ. The more that we grow with him, the more time we spend with him, the more we share things with him, the more he becomes in all of those parts of our lives, the more others recognize that we have a relationship with him, that there is something very different about us. I love this song because it just shows this intimacy that God longs for us. See, God calls us his children, his own, his beloved, he uses my for us as well. And we can use my for him because he is ours. How many of you have ever referred to Jesus as my Jesus? Do you call him my Jesus? Right now, to yourselves, just say, my Jesus. How does that make you feel? What would it be like if we started embracing that he's my Jesus, my Savior, my God, and that I'm his child, I'm his friend? That's the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. He loves each and every one of us. He died for us. I think he's shown us how deep his love goes and how much he wants to be a part of our everyday lives. The Father sent the Holy Spirit to each one of us so that we would never, ever have to be without him in this world. 
Let that sink in. You never have to be without the Father in this world. Paul tells us in Romans 5 that we can know how dearly God loves us because he gave us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We don't have to doubt how he feels about us or what he thinks about us because he's given his love is right within us. I think that's pretty amazing that that's how my God, my Father, feels about each one of us. We read from John 15 today when Jesus now calls his disciples his friends. We see the transformation and the transgression of their relationship going from followers to students to servants to friends. And we see that as their relationship grows deeper and deeper and closer with Jesus, that the trust they have with each other grows. And then Jesus shares everything that the Father shares with him with his disciples. And it's because of that very relationship, that close, intimate relationship, that Jesus is able to, to do that. And it's not because the disciples are no longer serving him. They are still serving him. But their relationship has evolved and come to the point where it's about communication and trust and love and friendship. And it's because of those very things in their relationship that it propels the disciples to obey him. Not because they're forced to, because they long to, because they love him, because they trust him, because they are close and intimate. And that is for us too. It should be out of that relationship that we have with Christ that we want to obey his commands, that we want to live lives that he tells us, that we want to reflect who he is, that we want to be the hands and feet on this earth because we love him and we trust him and we know him. That's for each one of us if we're willing to invest the time it takes to get to that place. We read in Acts today, and we read in verse 13, and I just want to read it to you in the Passion Translation. It says that the council members began to understand the effects Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. I think it's interesting that even the religious leaders came to that conclusion that these were changed men simply because they spent time with Jesus. And they realize now that they were not looking at that old Peter and John, but they were looking at that transformed Peter and John, the one who knows Jesus, the one who spends time with Jesus, the one who are friends with Jesus. They're not the same, and they're never going to be the same. And the religious leaders, even in their denial of Christ, still knew the power and effect he had on people who spent time with him. If we think about our friends, we all enjoy spending time with them. Sometimes we do things with them, sometimes we do nothing. But we just enjoy being in their presence. The more we spend time with them, the closer we get. It gives us wonderful feelings just to be in the presence of those that we love. The Mayo Clinic says that friends increase our sense of belonging and purpose. The Mental Health Foundation in the UK says our friends can keep us grounded, help us get things in perspective, and help us manage the problems that life throws at us. That pretty much sums up what Jesus does for us as our friend. Jesus calls us and he gives us a purpose. 
He marks us as his very own friends. He helps us to stay grounded and gives us the right perspective through his word. And through the Holy Spirit, he empowers us and strengthens us to be able to handle the problems that we face in this world. That's our Jesus, our Savior, our friend. How many of you drink coffee or tea regularly every day? Most of you. So what if you invited Jesus to have a cup of coffee or tea with you? What would 15 minutes a day with just Jesus, your Jesus, my Jesus, what would 15 minutes a day in a cup of coffee do for you? Amen.